0: The Social Work Journal podcast is a place of healing that normalizes everyday experiences through the exploration of evidence-based practice, theory, peer-reviewed journals, literature, articles, research, and a little pop culture. For further context throughout each episode, I will also share my own personal experiences. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Social Work Journal. I'm your host, Del Tom, and today we are going to talk about beliefs. What is a belief? Trust, faith, or confidence in someone or something. Believe it or not, belief is a subset of your culture. So if we look at the various aspects that make up our culture, belief is one, society is another one, behavior is another one, history, ethnicity, tradition, nation, and language. They say that your culture is simply the customs of your social group. So essentially, the people that are closest to you, they condition you and they help you formulate your beliefs. But there's other aspects that help you formulate your beliefs, and we'll explore that. So what you believe in is often tied to your emotions and your identity. Your beliefs are personal, but most often than not. You've been socialized into your beliefs, as we said, because they're so dependent on culture and values, but also your beliefs are very dependent on your sense of morality. So let's keep that in mind as we further explore what our beliefs are, why we believe, and what we believe. So why do people cling to their beliefs? Let's look at this article. It's actually a peer-reviewed journal, and it's called Why People Cling to Their Beliefs. And in this article, I found it so compelling that they said for some of our most important beliefs, we have no evidence at all, except that people we love and trust hold these beliefs. So remember, your beliefs are a subset of your culture. Your culture is formulated by your social group closest to you, and you're socialized into a lot of your beliefs. Also, considering how little we know The confidence that we have in our beliefs, they say in this article, is preposterous. However, it's also essential. And I think the reason why they say it's essential is because, remember, your beliefs are tied to your identity and they're tied to your morality. That's something that we cherish and we hold on to. So moving further in this article, it said we form particular beliefs from subjective, personal, and emotional promptings. Okay. And this is what they refer to as patternicity and agenticity. So essentially this is where the memory part comes in. So when you have experiences in life, and this is outside of what you've been socialized to believe in, and I guess this is part of socialization, but it's not someone teaching you these beliefs. Our brain takes snapshots of our experiences and our brain processes those snapshots. And then from there, that's how we formulate our beliefs. So our beliefs come from our memory. In the article, they say that your brain is a belief engine. The brain is always seeking to find meaning in the information that pours into it. Once it has constructed a belief, it rationalizes it with explanations. So look, it's like once you're set in your belief, no matter what evidence comes your way, if you truly believe in that, you will find a way to rationalize what you believe in. So there's this thing that they call belief-dependent realism. And it says that what we believe determines our reality, not the other way around. Isn't that something? So when do beliefs become catastrophic? So I was just thinking of this example. I don't know if you remember, there was a young man named John Allen Chow, and he traveled to the North Centennial Island in an attempt to convert the Amazonian tribe into Christianity. And he truly believed that he was doing a great thing. He thought that He was going to spread the word of God and it was going to help these people. Well, what he didn't understand was their beliefs and their own culture. We all know how the story ended for those of us who are familiar with it. If you're not, I highly recommend you just Google John Allen Chow, or you can even type his name into the YouTube search engine. And the story is very compelling. Well, Essentially, the reason why he was killed was because this Amazonian tribe, there's very few of them left and they do not have immunization to the infectious diseases that we all have. So they can't allow anyone outside of their tribe to travel on their land because once they did allow settlers to come over to their land and they all die, a lot of them died of infectious diseases because they had never been exposed to a lot of things that we've been exposed to and we've learned to live with. So you cannot go on that island. It's actually illegal. And so they killed him. They killed him before he even arrived. I think they shot up arrows while he was in the boat and he died. It's very tragic. But this is an example of when beliefs become catastrophic. I'm going to give you another example. And this is about race. And that's okay because we just talked about how our culture, part of our culture is our ethnicity, our race, right? Our beliefs are a subset of our culture. So I want to tell you a personal story that I experienced. Once when I was younger, I think I was about in second grade, there was this girl that I used to play with at the girls club every day. I don't remember her name. We were just friends at the girls club. Well, one day she had said to me that she couldn't play with Black people. Her mom told her that. And so one of the staff members saw me crying and they asked me why I was crying and I told them what happened. And then to try to mediate the situation, the staff member actually brought me and this young lady together. And the staff member asked the girl if my skin was Black or brown (laughs) to try to establish that my skin was brown. The questioning of the evidence was there, because remember, our beliefs supersede reality, right? Our beliefs become our reality. So she was trying to have the girl think critically, but I wonder if the evidence that she had the girl question, if it was even relevant to the belief that was being instilled in this young girl. And I on- honestly just felt bad for her because she was just an innocent bystander. She was repeating something that her mother had told her. And at that point, who knows if she even believed in that. I highly doubt that she did because we continue to play after that. So I think the person that they really needed to talk to or try to mediate an understanding of that belief with was probably the mother. But what did we just talk about? That people's beliefs are their reality and they're part of their identity. So let's get into some ideas of why people cling to their beliefs. So there's this theory called belief perseverance. And that's when a person refuses to change their beliefs, even though they may be proven wrong, okay? And then to explain that even further, there's the theory of cognitive immunization. And that explains why some beliefs become even stronger when they're challenged. So, let's get into why that is. Remember, our beliefs have a lot to do with our memory cuz our brain takes snapshots of our experiences and they base beliefs and understandings of things and they process information based off of that snapshot that they took. So you take the snapshot, you have the the perspective taking of that snapshot and then however you process that information you usually kind of live with that information unless you find it within yourself or you find it compelling to question the evidence of what you found. So that gets us into the biases. There's memory bias and that's the decision. The sense that better memorized choice options are preferred even if the options are comparatively unattractive. So sometimes we cling on to certain memories because they're just more preferred than other memories. Then there's the confirmation bias. So it's a little bit different than belief perseverance. So with confirmation bias, a person seeks out to recall information that supports their preconceived beliefs. But belief perseverance is seeking out information that rejects anything that disproves their beliefs. So, you're kind of looking at two opposite ends of the spectrum. So, let's give an example of confirmation bias. I'll give you an example. It's actually really funny. Now, this is racial, but I don't want anybody to get offended. You know, I have to talk about it because these are my experiences, right? And I want to give context to what we're talking about here. So, once I had this supervisor, and it became very clear to me that she had this confirmation bias, the African American females had attitudes. And I don't even think she realized how she interacted with African-American females in the workplace versus how she interacted with other people. I wouldn't even say non-African-American females. I would just say other people. So whenever she was given instruction to myself, and there was like two other African-American females that were let's just say we were managers. So we were assistants and she was our supervisor. So whenever she would give us instructions, she would kind of snap her neck back and forth, okay? Sometimes she would roll her eyes. She would talk to us in a very con- condescending tone. It was very strange, but she wasn't doing that with people who are not African-American females. So after seeing this pattern over and over again, because remember, this is my belief, This is the snapshot that my brain took. This is the memory that I have. This is how I process the information. This is my understanding based on those patterns. I was like, I think she has a confirmation bias with African-American females that she thinks we have attitudes. And what she doesn't realize is that by giving us attitude, she's actually seeking out to recall that information because what she's hoping is that she gets the attitude back. Because if she gets the attitude back, It says it all in the, in the theory, in the name, it confirms her bias, her understanding of what African-American females are. So I just think that's a clear example of confirmation bias. Let's move on to negativity bias. So negativity bias is typically when a person has sort of this high emotional experience with their bias, but they tend to disregard the impact on positive things and they tend to have the impact of something negative tends to be far more significant. So they can be equally emotional, something negative and something positive. But for whatever reason, the situation or the experience that was negative, it just has a greater impact. And that's a prime example of negativity bias. So The opposite of negativity bias, you guys can guess it. And and there's something called pessimism bias. Actually, I should go over that really quick. And that's when people regard themselves worse off than what they are. Now, remember all these biases, they're all sort of a a child of our memories, right? And we all have biases. I don't care how open-minded you believe you are how accepting you believe you are, you have a bias, you do. And when you can accept it, that's when you know you can make change. But the belief that you don't have a bias, in that something? And you may cling to that belief. Oh no, I don't have any biases, but that means you're resisting. You're not open to that change. Even if someone were to give you the evidence and say, hey, well, in actuality, I noticed that you do this and this seems like you have a bias in this way. If you're clinging to that belief that you don't have any biases, how can you change? I digress let's get back into the optimism bias so optimism bias opposite of pessimism bias which pessimism bias regard themselves as worse off than others that's what it is optimism bias is when a person kind of has this distorted reality and they just don't believe that something negative could happen to them Oh, I don't have those kind of experiences. I, I experience things that are positive. So that doesn't apply to me. Even if you're saying something that's realistic, like, you know, everybody experiences hardships. Oh, you know, I've never experienced any hardships. I've had it pretty easy. It's like, okay, see it your way. <laughs> okay. So something that I found is actually an article from NCBI the National Center for Biotechnology Information, and it's called How to Modify Persisting Negative Expectations in Major Depression, an experimental study comparing three strategies to inhibit cognitive immunization against novel positive experience. Excuse me, that was a long title. So basically the implications for negativity bias is depression, especially major depressive disorder. So what they did in the study is they took various groups, and they gave them different treatments. And what they found essentially was that if you keep giving people information and feedback that's positive, then it does have an effect on their belief system. And these people in this experiment who experienced these positive sort of feedbacks started to take that in to their memory. And then it started to kind of change the way they believe, the way they thought about things. And they started to see things in a more positive way because of these messages they were receiving. Now there's a ton of other biases, but what I'm going to do is I'm just going to post the link. You can actually go to Wikipedia and Wikipedia will take you to some articles. If you really want to do a deep dive in a specific type of bias, But I pulled up Wikipedia because they listed all the biases, and there's not like a certain site that I could find that would list all the biases. So I'm gonna post that on my website www.thesocialworkjournal.com. So do not worry, I'm you know me. I'm gonna put it up there for us. So let's get into the role that beliefs have in goal setting. So beliefs give us either the certainty that we will either achieve or the certainty that we will fail. And when I said, let's get into the role of beliefs and goal setting, that's actually an article by the Columbia Tribune. So I'll post that to my website. You can find it on my blog. So they say that beliefs give us either certainty we will achieve or the certainty we will fail. They also say that our brains simply direct us to action based on what it is told about a situation through our beliefs. So here's what's so interesting to me about that. We've all heard this before, the placebo effect. And so although when you give somebody a placebo pill, it has no medicinal value, what we believe does affect how our body responds. So there was some efficacy of placebo pills when they've done them in studies. Okay. But my question is is what happens when your outcome does not match your belief? So for example, if I have a life-threatening illness and I'm steadfast in the belief that regardless of what the doctor is advising, I am going to recover from this illness, okay? I have faith, I believe that I'm going to recover from this illness. Check me out of this hospital doc. I don't need any treatment. I'm going to be okay. That's my belief. That belief could be a little dangerous because Anybody who's familiar with Christian texts, and I'm not proselytizing here, but I can only kind of give you this context based off of things that I'm familiar with, so to speak. So in Christian context, you know, they have a verse that says faith without works is dead. Okay. And so in relation to outcomes and beliefs, there's a metaphor that follows that verse. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. I'm not going to sit here and read the Bible to you guys. Like, seriously, that's not where we're going with this, but I find this so compelling. So the, the metaphor is having faith without taking action. It's like seeing someone who's naked and hungry and then telling them to be warm and full, but you're not putting forth the effort to try to provide them with what they need. So if you see a homeless person on the street and they say, I'm hungry, do you have a dollar? And you say, you know, be warm and be full. OK, but you have money to get them food Or you could actually give them food and you have a blanket that you could give them so that they would be warm. But you just tell them, be warm and be full, and you keep going. Faith without works is dead. You have the faith that you're trying to instill that belief in them that things will be okay, but you're not doing anything to help them, essentially, is what it's saying. And I think that that is where we can start kind of challenging this whole placebo effect, because I don't think that in every instance, what you believe is what your outcome is going to be because there's always circumstances beyond your beliefs that you can't control. And I know that sounds funny for me because we just did an episode on distortions. And, you know, I talk about cognitive behavioral therapy, change the way you think, change the way you feel, change the way you behave. Of course, do I believe those things work? Absolutely. But do I think that there are circumstances that are beyond us, regardless of what we believe, we cannot change? Absolutely. Because if it's a circumstance that's outside of you, you can only control you. You know, there's environmental factors that are outside our control. If there's a tornado and I just believe that that tornado will subside, I mean, I think that's great for my own mental health. If I'm having anxiety while this tornado is going on. But in actuality, I'm not going to change the outcome of that tornado because I said that the tornado, I believe that it's going to subside. It's really more to manage my own anxiety about being in the midst of a tornado. Okay. So another example of challenging beliefs. So James Allen wrote a self-help book in 1902, As a Man Thinketh. When I think about this title and I think about the contents of this book, and I'm going to give you a little paraphrase of what the book is about. I'm like, you know, this guy kind of came up with cognitive behavioral therapy before there was cognitive behavioral therapy. So essentially in his book, James Allen wrote, As a Man Thinketh, in his own thought world, he thinks that everyone holds the key to every condition, good or bad, that enters into their life. And that by working patiently and intelligently, they may transform their circumstances. We just talked about this, people. Okay. Is that true to a certain degree? Yes. But is it absolute? No, because you don't hold the key to every condition in your life. There are some conditions you just don't hold. If you get laid off from your job, did you hold the key to that condition? No. But the condition that you do hold the key to is finding another job hopefully you can find it quickly, but maybe you won't find it quickly, but you keep putting in the works to make that belief. You tell yourself the belief, I will find another job because that's good for our self-esteem and self-efficacy. And then that will encourage us to go out and seek jobs rather than be depressed, be at home with that negative bias, telling ourselves, I'm never going to find another job. I got fired from my last job because, you know, they knew that I was a weak link. So when they had to do layoffs, they laid me off. See, that's how your thoughts, your beliefs can produce a negative outcome for you, okay? Because now you're not putting in the work that you need to get a new job because you keep repeating these negative schemas in your mind, which are counterproductive. But if you tell yourself the positive thoughts, okay, you might start being productive. You might start engaging in tests that are productive and conducive to you going and getting that job. So I think that's how beliefs can can be the key to your positive outcome. But I don't think your beliefs can control everything. And I really wanted to stress that. So something that really struck out to me, again, I'm putting a little religious context in there was whenever i heard that phrase which is actually when james allen wrote this book he derived that phrase as a man thinketh from a verse in the bible which is um in the book of proverbs chapter 23 and they say in proverbs that for as he thinketh in his heart so is he but see here's the problem with sound bites we take a sound bite and Then the beliefs kind of become convoluted because my whole life, I thought that what that meant was whatever I think about myself, that will determine how things will pan out for me. But this is where questioning the evidence, challenging your beliefs helps you become a more well-rounded person because I could have really just clung to that. But I decided, oh, I want to read the entire chapter, not just look at that verse for myself and understand the meaning of what that means. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So I did. And you know what? That verse and even that chapter has nothing to do with your mindset and your belief controlling your outcomes. And actually what it is, is it's kind of like a warning where you should really take heed to not just what a person says to you or not just a person's behavior, but look at their actions in entirety. Do their actions line up with their behavior and line up with what they say? And if they don't, then you may want to question if the person that you're interacting with is trustworthy and if they have good intentions for you. Now, when you just take that little sound bite for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You would not guess that that was really the meaning behind that verse, but there's other verses in front of it and there's other verses behind it. Why am I giving this as an example? What's the purpose of this? The purpose of this is sometimes we take context from things that have one meaning And our perception can skew them to believe something else. And then we hold on to those beliefs without questioning the facts and the evidence so that we can be well-rounded and we can be open and we can grow and we can experience and learn and know that, hey, it's okay to challenge your beliefs. It's okay to question what your understanding of the world was because that's part of evolving. That's part of your development. and. If you ever get the gumption to do that, then in actuality, it doesn't fragment your identity. If anything, you should be stronger in your identity because if you are really strong and steadfast in who you are, how does somebody challenging your belief change who you are? Maybe it changes your understanding of certain parts about yourself, but who you are is who you are at the core. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. I'm really glad that we got to explore belief. I just wanted to talk about like how beliefs can be so powerful and so compelling, but how they can also be catastrophic and crippling and how if we challenge those beliefs, we can truly find ourselves and grow and morph into something that's beautiful. So until next time, thank you for tuning in and the next podcast I have something really good. We're going to talk about goals. So, have a good night. Bye.